God for this one. Because we've hit this place where the, the amazing kingdom of God starts getting plugged into in a really neat way of what we're doing. And, and the kingdom of God is, is really special. And that's why you hear me all the time trying to harp on getting the definition down. Understanding the definition. Because when it's just a word, then so many of the verses in the Bible just lose the great impact they can have in our lives and should have in our lives when the word kingdom doesn't have substance to it that we know and understand. So if there's anybody here that does not have one of the definitions yet, um, they'll, be, they'll be up here and you can just get one. Um, and that way you won't have an excuse not to have it memorized. But we're trying to get everybody to get on the same page and have that memorized so you know when we're talking about the kingdom, you know what we're talking about. But I, to start out with, I have a, if you, get, grab a piece of paper if you want to write it down, if you've got a paper. Um, if you do, because I want you to write something down real quick. Well, if you don't have a paper, you have If you don't, you can always get a kingdom definition. I won't, you know, I, I, we won't harp at you for <laughs> using it for that. So grab a paper. Anybody want one of these? Yeah, you don't need a whole lot of paper. You can tear it in half even. doesn't have to take too much. Here's what I want you to do on your paper. I want you to write down what is salvation. Not how you get saved. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking what is salvation. And I want you to write it down and I want you to put a verse that supports that. Okay? So I'm going to put you to the test a little bit here. You come up with a verse that supports what salvation is. Okay? It's a little challenge to you. Well, I'm going to give you one that pretty well sums it all up. Okay? Turn with me to Colossians. The book of Colossians. Colossians 1 and verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, the domain of darkness, a very interesting concept. The word domain simply means, it really is, is a, a, the world of free choice, of, of freedom of choice. It, it has to do with that freedom you get to choose, that world. And it's not just like yours, it's a world of that, that constitutes this freedom of choice. So that's the word domain. So you're rescued from this domain of the freedom of choice. But now following that up, the domain of darkness. This is where it gets really interesting. The word darkness means you're blindly ignorant. Blindly ignorant is what that word means. Now, just, just put those together. The world of a freedom that is freedom of choice. That world's about freedom of choice, but you're blindly ignorant. <laughs> so your choices are a little bit skewed, like a whole bunch. And that's the world God says is our world. That's the world we exist in. That's the world we live in. That's what humanity born into. That you grow up in that world. That's what you work, play in. As you live in that, that's the world we live in. It's the domain, the freedom to choose, yet you're blindly ignorant in those choices. Now, that's what God calls it. And so he rescues us from that, from that world. 
and he takes us, he rescues and transfers us, and transfers is just exactly that. It just means we're taking you from here, moving you over to there. And where does he take us to? The kingdom of his beloved son. Now that's really fascinating too, when you put these together. We think so often salvation is just, you know, nobody said it, but just being saved from hell. And that's kind of a lot of times that comes up. We're saved from hell, and that pretty well a lot of times sums up what salvation is. But here it is, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to his kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. And, and that's another world. He took us from one world and transferred us over to another world. Now, what is fascinating about that is this. You were in this world where you had this total freedom to make your own choices. And he just took you out of that. Took you away from that. And moved over to a different world. And this world of his kingdom is a world that now has a king in it. And if it has a king in it, he sets the rules. You see, now we got one that's totally by his rules. We're transferred to the kingdom, the king's rules, and that's the new world we're in. Now, did he take away free, free will? No. We still have free will, don't we? But boy, there's a big difference in the free will of the domain of darkness to the free will of the kingdom. Because in the domain of darkness, we don't have any idea what we're doing. We think we do. I mean, we think we do. But he says, no, no, you're blindly ignorant. You have no idea. So he transfers us to this kingdom. And in that kingdom, now who is establishing what's right or wrong? Is it me who's blindly ignorant? Who's establishing right and wrong in his kingdom? Yeah, the king is. Interesting. You see, I still have free will, but in that kingdom, he's calling the shots. And what is my free will all about then? What does my free will have to do in this kingdom? Following the shots he calls. <laughs> you follow the shots that he calls. Yeah, it's, it's free will to obey. That's an interesting thing about the kingdom, because most kings, presidents, you know, any leader of that sort, they not only make the rules, but they demand you adhere to them. And if you don't at any point in time, they can snuff you right out, stop it totally. They can shut it right down. But it's so interesting in God's kingdom, he does not operate that way now. In fact, there is no king in the history that's ever operated the way the king of the God's kingdom operates. It's unique to the kingdom of God. Totally, completely unique. And we'll be looking at that as we go along. Um, but when you think about it, though, he says we're blindly ignorant. So when we come into this kingdom, what do we know about living in it? You see a problem here? <laughs> we're, we're blindly ignorant, and we've been transferred to this kingdom that's completely set up and run by the king his rules and now we're transferred into that we were blindly ignorant here and now we're over here and see the problem is we have no idea how to live and operate in that world we don't have any idea turn to me to romans 12 
And he says, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Now right there, once again, he's talking about the domain of darkness. Don't be conformed to that world. That's the world you play in. That's the world you're born into. It's the world you live in. That's the world that you work in. Do not be conformed to that world. Don't get yourself wrapped up in it. You've been there. You've done that. Don't conform yourself to that world. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You guys like butterflies? How does a butterfly get from a caterpillar? That's the word right there. That's the word for transformed. That's where we get it from. It's metamorpho in the Greek. It's the same word. It means to be completely changed into another form. Because a butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings. And I just didn't get this caterpillar, glue some wings, super glue some wings on him, and away he takes off. It is a totally different being. And that's what God says here that we're supposed to be changed into, to function and live in the kingdom, because we don't have any idea. We don't know that world. That's not a world that we grew up in, and it's real conducive to the way we function and live. We don't think in those terms. And so this is quite an interesting thing. He says you've got to completely be metamorphosized into another being. That's salvation. You're transferred to this kingdom, and that's what God's going to do with us in this new, in his kingdom world. But so now how in the world, that's the question that needs to be asked. I don't know if anybody's thinking that way already, but the question that needs to be asked, how do you get transformed like that? That's not a little thing. Where'd you get that? <laughs> By the renewing of your mind. That's just exactly what he tells us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing word, just, it means exactly that. You're going to get your mind back to the way it was meant to be, supposed to be. Get it back to being right. Now that's what salvation is all about. We're, and that's what, Chad, you were talking about that. That's kind of the concept. We're getting back into that image of God. He wants us back there to be completely transformed because when Adam and Eve fell, they were in the image of God, but when they fell, it didn't look like that anymore. There became instantly a whole lot of problems that, that poked their ugly head up and continued and continued and continued. And God has taken us back. He wants to transform us, but he's going to do that by changing this right here renewing our mind so what is he what is he when he says renew our mind you guys we've, we've been talking about this for a little bit here now renewing our mind is this thing right here that prefrontal cortex right there that, that's the word in the Greek noose that's that's the that's the part he's talking about right here in the mind but he wants it renewed so how do we get this to think properly I can remember talking to a gardener that lived down the street, and I said, my yard is full of weeds. I mean, if I pulled every single weed out of here, there'd be hardly anything left. I said, and so I need to pull all the weeds, and then I need to go ahead and lay my grass seed. He goes, no, you don't. I said, well, what do you do? He goes, you add more grass seed. He said, the grass seed is going to choke out the weeds. And he said, you'll have a few weeds left, but that, those will be doable to pull out. And so his thing for gardening, for our grass, 
was you keep putting in grass seed, grass seed, grass seed, and it starts choking out. That's the same thing you were saying. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, the whole point is who are we? We are a byproduct of the, def of the what world? The domain of darkness. That's who. We're a byproduct of that. We're from parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and their great-great-grandparents. Where it says the sins of the parents and the fourth generations passed down. In a world that is so anti, so against, so much out of tune with what God is, that we're so blindly ignorant. That's, that's who we are, okay? That's who we are, and that's what this is. That's what's in here. This is all your memories, your history of everything that you are, and that's what then is going to then be filtrating down into here and causing the decisions and choices that we make. So, yeah, we say we got free will, but not very much because it's too much already being influenced by what's in our brain and we're not even aware of it. So now when Jesus comes on the scene, he knows all this, everything about it. And in Luke 4.43, when that group of people around him, gosh, they're just love, he's been healing everything, just just doing these miracles, just, just having a great time. And they and he was going to leave and go to another city and they want to keep him. And they, and they ask him, they say, stay, 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 don't leave us. And what does he say? We've talked about it a few times. What does he say? I can't stay. He says, I've got to go preach the gospel of the kingdom. And, and what does he say about that? To all the cities. To all the cities. And what? And what does he say? That's what I was saying. He says, because I was sent for that purpose. To go teach about the kingdom. Because see, we don't understand that thing. The, the Jewish people who should have known didn't understand it. They didn't know about it. So he came to then teach all about the kingdom. Now, I, I'd ask for a show of hands, but I know you'd be too embarrassed to put them up. But I'll put mine up. Does, has anybody ever read through the Gospels and ran into a passage and you just shook you up and you said, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm gonna, I can do that? I've done it a few times. I've done it a few more times. <laughs> yes, you have. You know, we run into those passages and they scare us to death, some of them. Some of them are scary. And what is Jesus talking about? Kingdom. The kingdom. He's explaining the kingdom. But see, we didn't grow up in that world. We don't know that world, and it scares us to death when he talks about it. Because we, we don't function that way. We don't think that way. And the kingdom is scary when you start looking at what Jesus said about it. That's why probably why we have a tendency to kind of ignore the kingdom a bit. Because when Jesus says the kingdom is like so many times... Some of the things he says, and then some of those he says, okay, if you're going to come follow me, do this. Those are some tough words. You know, when he, when he tells people that sell everything you've got and come follow me. Sell everything you've got. Give away the poor and come follow me. Who really wants to do that? But see, in, in his kingdom-ruled world, you can't have other things that are going to keep your interest. You can't do that. Not in his kingdom-ruled world. He sets the rules. And then we have to comply to those rules. So you need to know that before you ever even think about doing it, going into that. And so it's, it's, it's a scary thing. Now, a lot of people will get to a place where they'll catch like Romans 7. What does Paul say about himself in Romans 7? Yeah. Who 
can deliver me from this body of death? Who can deliver me? I, I'm scared. I, 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 everything I try to do, I do it wrong. I want to do right and I can't and everything else. And a lot of people will take that as their mantra. You know, that, well, I can't do it. Paul can't. I can't. You know, and so I, and that's where we live. You know, we'll, we'll rest there. But then you got verses like Romans 12 too. It says, I want you to completely change who you are. That doesn't fly with Romans 7. <laughs> you see, that doesn't fly at all. Or 1 Timothy 4, 7 where he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. That isn't sitting around and doing nothing. That's working hard for the purpose of godliness to change some of that behavior, change how you think, become something different. And, and so you have both of these. You have this Romans 7, where Paul's just being totally honest about, of his failures and how difficult it is. But then you've got the other side. Here's Paul writing in Romans 12, no, you've got to completely be transformed into another image. Totally into another image. So how do we put those two together? Well, you know how you do that? That's what the amazing, amazing kingdom is all about. That's where it all takes place. You remember we talked about last week, 1 Corinthians 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, you remember what we talked about there? God's spirit, he says, we can know these things because... Spiritual has been combined with spiritual. What did that word combined mean? You said jointed. That is, that is one of the primary definitions of it. But it isn't just jointed. What was also part of that definition? It's like a dovetail. That's the concept of the jointed. It's because it's not just glued. It's jointed, making it much stronger. But there's another facet of that word in that passage. If you look at that passage... That's right. Jointed together two things that shouldn't be together. Spiritual is spiritual. Now, spiritual and spiritual, if we're talking about spirit of God, well, then that that's, should be together. So we're not talking about that because that same word is our spirit. <laughs> so when you talk about the spirit of God being jointed together with something that it shouldn't be with, guess what spirit that is? That's the one inside of us. And that God would joint, dovetail would joint his spirit with our spirit. My goodness, what kingdom ever occupies, ever lives and functions like that? Where the king is going to joint together with his people in his kingdom? So who not, he shouldn't have anything to do with. So you're not saying it's jointing together with the spirit of Christ that's in me? Yes, it is. That's, that is. A, what is the spirit of Christ in you? Give me another name for it. Holy there you go. Give me another name for it. Okay. Not a Greek name. Give me an English one. Good. Yes. Gives me the Greek. Yes. Give me another three-letter word. There you go. You see, it's God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is that. You know, one of the interesting things, I'm not going to go there now. Eventually, some maybe we'll get to it. But probably the greatest way to show the, the, the nature of Christ as being God in the flesh, as being God himself, the second person of the Godhead, is do a study on the throne of God in the kingdom. Because you'll see that throne. It's God's. It's God's throne. It's God's throne. It's all of a sudden, it's Christ's throne. Wait a minute. What, did, what had just happened here? It was God's. It was God's. It's Christ. Wait a minute. 
it's the Lamb of God's. Wait a minute, I thought it was God's. Yes, it is the Lamb of God too. And you'll see that when you study the throne of God who's sitting on that, who's ruling, who's judging, who's doing these things, you'll see it. It's God, God the Father, God the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. You'll, you'll see it. It's the greatest way to put together and see the Godhead is all three in one if you do that. But so it is, it is God who is that jointing. That's how he's going to function in his kingdom. Why would he do that? What's, what's the purpose of him doing that? Why would God do such a thing? I mean, that just seems crazy. What king would ever do that? Well, let's go find out. Okay? Let's go find out and kind of see what's going on here and how, how this works. Have you ever, um, let's say you're driving to work tomorrow. So you're cruising down the road. It's Monday. A few things in your mind of, i got to do this tomorrow at work, i do that. All of a sudden, boom, in your brain, just comes the stupidest thought. Maybe it's a bad thought. Maybe it's a lame thought. It's just a stupid thought. Maybe it's a really one of those, those um, in our mixture here. Maybe it's one of those dog doo-doo thoughts. And you weren't thinking of anything. And all of a sudden, boom, pops in your brain. Where did that come from? Your heart. Exactly right. It came right here. Who are you? It's, it came right out of that. And it pops in. It's really interesting that that can pop in. Look over here at Colossians. We're going to go over to Colossians here because that's really kind of an interesting thing to see. This is something that, I don't know, it's kind of a scary thought, but it's a very real thought. It's a very real thing. And it's something that I think is one of the things that we, we need to understand in order for us to See the kingdom in action. Chapter 2. Colossians. Colossians is written to Christians. Okay? It's written to Christians. And look what he says here in 2.18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. He's a Christians. By delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, Inflated without cause by what? Inflated without cause by what? What's it say? Mind. His own fleshly mind. Here's the word mind. Same word now. But his flesh, that's over here. Okay, that's, that's over in this part. So his fleshly mind. He's inflated by his fleshly mind. He's inflated because this keeps shoving information over here. And the word inflated, inflated, it's really arrogance. That's what the word is. He's, he's arrogant about it. And see, I got something you don't have. And that's what was going on. I got something you don't have. And he had these visions and he had things that, that's, you know, could taunt, you know, the Christians with it. Look what I got. I'm a better Christian than you. Now, we don't do that. I'm, I'm sure none of us do that. <laughs> we never would look down upon somebody else, not a Christian, thinking, gosh, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm not like them, you know. <laughs> We would, of course, we'd never do that. But, but see, you know what that is? When we find ourselves, that thought pops into our brain, and we start seeing ourselves as, as, a, as better than somebody else in some way, shape, or form, guess what that is? That's our default mode network coming right out of there. The 
fleshly mind is coming right out of there and pumping that right into our brain. Now, here's the big thing. What do you do with that? What do you do with that thought? Because this is where the rubber meets the road in the kingdom and in Christianity. Because, see, when you come out of this domain of darkness, that's how you think. That is how you think. It's all been pumped up in there, and that's, that's your world. That's how we think. So now, what are we going to do that? He wants us to completely be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we no longer think that way. So how do we do that? What do we do with that thought that's in there? Captive. Do what? Keep every thought captive. To what? The obedience of Christ. There you go. There you go. Captive to the obedience of Christ. We're going to see how that works. Great, great verse. Great thought. Look over here at, um, where am I going? <laughs> Something about the mind and the heart. <laughs> no, I'm going over to Ephesians. <laughs> Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 for a minute. Let's just see something here too. Let's go and, and take the helmet of salvation and the 17. And take the helmet of salvation. What are we talking about here? What is what is he talking about? Taking the helmet of salvation. What is Paul going through and teaching us? The full armor of God. Full armor of God to protect ourselves. Okay. And the last part of the armor that is protective is the what is it? Helmet of salvation. Okay. Now back to our opening first question. What is salvation? A helmet. That's a good goal. I like it. What is salvation? Transferring us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved. Ah, look at there. And we'll take that helmet. That's the helmet. What are we putting on our? What is that helmet we're putting on? The transformation. Our mind. It's on my mind. But what is that helmet? It's the helmet of salvation. It is the kingdom of God. We're transferred to that. That's salvation. We're transferred to that kingdom. Now, how is that going to protect my head? My brain. The definition of the kingdom. And it's pursuing the intimate partnership. And so if we're pursuing that, then we're filling our heart with the, the word of God and pursuing the kingdom so that that's what then comes out into a Yeah, could you put, if, the, if this, that whole concept, if we're surrendered to the king, the reign of the king, and we are actively participating in an intimate partnership with him, he's dwelling right here and he's ruling from right here. This is how he protects us. You see, the kingdom isn't just sitting over there in the throne. It isn't over at church. It isn't over on the East Coast. It isn't, it's... Right here. This is where God has chosen to rule from. What king chooses to rule in such almost a crazy fashion? To rule from right here inside of our brain. Because, see, that's where he can protect us the most. Because we've got a transformation we've got to go through so we don't conform to the world so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He just joints right into right into our brain and joints there with us to renew us to change us to be there but now how's he going to do that is he just hang out there 
But see, when you take the helmet of salvation, what do you take with it? What's the rest of the verse? The sword of the Spirit, which is what? Which is the Word of God. This is the kingdom, and it's his, the king's rules. This is the, this is the God who created the universe. Created the universe. He spoke. And when there was nothing, things happened. Material happened. It just came into being. He could sit in our brain, that helmet of salvation, he could sit right there, he could joint with us, and every time a word like that, a thought like that came into your brain, one of those stupid thoughts, he could go, oh, stupid, get out of here. And he could do that. And guess what would happen to that thought? It would go away. It would be gone. He could do that. I mean, that's nothing for him to do. But that's not how the king of the kingdom chose to work. And this is what we have to get. It's his kingdom. It's his world. And he transferred us to be in his kingdom. And therefore, we have to function in that kingdom how he designed. And how he designed it to work was his sword, his fighting weapon of choice, is what? The word of God. That's his way he's choosing to fight. Hey, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's sword, sharper though. than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than the one I gave you. Okay? It's a little stronger, too. <laughs> well, and Jesus gave us an example of that when he was tempted in the wilderness. And what did he do? Exactly. Explain. Because Satan tempted him with the temptation. It's a simple little thing. It's a turn of stones into bread or whatever. Simple little things. We, we don't we don't connect with them that those were, there were temptations. We just think it was some silly question Satan was asking him. But these are these are temptations, and there's nothing different than what we're tempted with that we're wrestling and struggling with. Same things. And then he responded to those temptations from Satan with a scripture. So each one he just gave him a scripture, and, and then Satan had asked him something different because he was holding to that too. So Jesus is there and he gets tempted by Satan and he goes, <laughs> pulls out a sword, wow. just well, like cool. that, and goes, <laughs> just like that, just whoop, 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 whips up on Satan with what? The word of God. <laughs> Satan, are you with him? No. <laughs> he just moved on. He just had to move on. He knew that. I'm not getting anywhere with that one. I'm not getting anywhere with that one. So now, you see something here? Just to Derek, because we're starting out, we've, we've got all this issue going on inside that brain. I think um, also, I like David explains this, or did David write Psalm 119? Mm -hmm. That he says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not, might not sin against you. There you go. He's you treasured also, it. Just uh, one more point about Satan. He also used the word of God right to Jesus, but he used it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, he did one time, didn't he? He, he did do that. <laughs> he knows it. I mean, that means you have to know it well. You better know it well, and you better, you better, you better stand on it well. Exactly right, because he will deceive us. So all around. He does it all the time. And get people all twisted up around. Exactly right. So now, and that all comes out of, out of here. It's all coming out of here. That's where Jesus... That's where he's chosen. Our king has chosen to work within us 
to, to give us a battle, a, 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 an ability to fight over anything if we will do it his way. It's his world. And that's what we have to conform to. If we don't do it that way, we're just going to be running around in the domain of darkness, making choices. Free will is still there. We make free will choices. We go do things. But we're blindly ignorant. But see, the Bible is true. Jesus even said, talk to his father, says, your word is absolute 100% truth. And that's what we're going to use. That's what he decided. That's how he's going to fight this battle. That's his choice. He's the king. It's his kingdom. So that's what we have to do. That's why we need it in there. Now, look at this. Um, take a look at uh, Ephesians. We looked at that last week, and I still want to go over it again. Ephesians 3. I mean, excuse, Ephesians 4. So now, what kind of thought would our flesh, our fleshly mind, poke into us and put into our brain when we're just not paying attention and it just throws us in here. Look at Ephesians 4, 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of your mind. Okay, we talked about the futility of your mind. What does that word futility mean? No practical use. And the whole theme of what this is about is in this passage, if we keep reading, we'll get to what the whole focus of it is. Follow along here. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So now the whole focus of this is the life of God. Now, we would look at that, like we were talking about last week, we really just immediately want to, oh, that doesn't work. I'm a Christian. That doesn't work. I can't be excluded from the life of God. Well, you sure can by how the, how the Greek, what the Greek word means. God will never get rid of you. But what it means to be excluded means to be a non-participant. To be a non-participant in the life of God. That's the concept of the, being excluded. To be a non-participant. What is the kingdom of God? The people willingly surrendered and actively participate. You see where that comes from? Actively participate in an intimate partnership with God. You see what happens when we think in futile thoughts? We stop participating in that relationship. Now, futile thoughts. It's any thought that isn't helping grow that intimate partnership with God. So now, give me one. Give me a thought you could have that would just be exactly that, a futile thought. Donuts are great. What's that? Donuts are great. Donuts are great. Yeah, it's like, and then you call your friend about it, too. In fact, you can call him and say, I'm putting you this one. This is too good. We're having a big, long ordeal about how they made that donut and everything else. Twitter? <laughs> Twitter? Anything. Donut. Anything on Twitter pretty well settles it. You put that in your brain. That is doing nothing to help grow that intimate partnership that you're participating in. It's doing nothing to grow it. And yet, how many hours can we spend on Twitter, on Facebook? Uh, I'll tell you another one. How many of you read People magazine or have read it? Or have seen it, or I'm from, I got. I'm from the 21st. You're dating yourself. I know it's all, but I mean, we got us. We got all the all the different magazines. 
but what's the bad? I was going there. A magazine is Twitter. <laughs> but we can pick up all that kind of stuff and we start reading it. Guess what? That is exactly futile thinking. It's thoughts that have nothing to do with developing and growing and participating in that relationship with God. And God says that's futile thinking. That's what he calls it. And that's something that Satan uses. But my flesh, I don't even need Satan. My flesh will just do that. It will just, just inject over here, sitting there doing nothing. And all of a sudden it will take that thought and go, whoom, right over here into my prefrontal cortex. And all of a sudden I'm thinking a thought and wondering, where did that come from? 20 minutes later, I'm going, how did, that arrive? How did I get in that thought? So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you have a thought like that? There you go. Oh, my God. I like it. Get that sword out of here. Yeah. But who actually, you're going to take that sword, and who is there in your brain that is so much a better swordsman? Because you know what? Normally, he only, he only has to fight left-handed. But ah, what he doesn't know is he's not left-handed. <laughs> Princess Bride joke. Okay, carry on. <laughs> um, you see, we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the King of the Kingdom. We've got the God of the Universe has jointed with us, and that's who does our fighting. So now, you're there, and you get this thought. It comes in your brain, and you've been on that thought for 20 minutes. You may have had anger over the thought. You may have had laughter over the thought. You may have been stimulated wrongly over that thought. You may have just been numb over the thought. There's so many different stupid emotions and things that can go on with these thoughts. You may have just redesigned your entire house <laughs> over that thought. I mean, there's so many. I mean, my goodness, how many thoughts can we have come in our mind, mind like that? And when you catch it and you see and you understand and you know and you figure it out, go, oh, that didn't come from me. I'm not dealing with any of that stuff. That came out of my fleshly mind. That came out of my fleshly mind. Do you know how we know it came out of your fleshly mind? Look over here. What would the Holy Spirit send to your prefrontal cortex, to your mind up here? Look over at, um, let's just jump over. First Corinthians. No, let's go to Galatians. Galatians 5. Let's go to Galatians 5. Let's do that one. Oh, that's one I wanted. Yes. Okay. Look at here. Thank you, honey. Verse 22. Anybody quote that to me without looking? But the fruit of the Spirit. There we go. We got them. We got some. You see, if you've got a thought that is contradictory to any one of those things that did not come from the Holy Spirit, If you got a thought that is in conjunction with any one of those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If a thought comes into your brain that is looking, it's, it's connected, it is something like that, that's you're going to use, he's going to use and help you then grow that intimate partnership. And you know that came right from the Holy Spirit. 
right from the king of the kingdom. So now when you get that thought and it doesn't match, you look at it and go, that doesn't, there's nothing, there's nothing I can say. This thought doesn't have anything to do with any of this stuff. It's obvious it came from my fleshly mind. So then what you do, you are a child of that king. You're a child of the king. And so now you take that thought and you go, Lord, that stupid thought just came right out of my fleshly brain. It wasn't from you. It's totally contrary to everything you stand for. That's something in that domain of darkness that you transferred me out of. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Lord, take that sword. You got a verse that would say to get rid of it? You got a verse like that one right there in Galatians that says, look at that verse. This is completely contrary to that. Cut that out of my brain. Cut that out of my brain. Get rid of that. That's why he wields a sword. That's why it's a sword. You see, it's a sword because a sword is so much better at pruning these neuron dendrites. He actually does that. <laughs> Whoa, what just happened here? It's gone, and it's gone. Seriously, it'll be gone. How many of you got in here? Well, we got four billion of these things, these neurons, but they whack it all up here and cut it all up, and they just grow again. They can grow if you decide to implant more of the Word of God, giving him more of a sword. Yeah, my sword, uh, uh, this is about how many verses I know. <laughs> <laughs> See, and if you pull something like that out to that neuron, we've got a fighting chance. We got a fighting chance. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit's handling it, so not me. Because if that was in my brain, I would have just wiped out half of it just the first swing. Like, oh, oh, I missed him. But, but see, that's that's the way that the King has chosen to work in His world, to work because once again, what is the kingdom definition? A people willingly surrender to the God. And hold it right there. My surrender is, yes, that's what your word says. I'm doing it. That's how you surrender. That's what you surrender. You're surrendering to his, his reign, his word of God. You, you surrender to it. Then what, what happens? Then it's a people willing to surrender to the reign of God and in an intimate partnership. You see, there is the amazing kingdom. A partnership partnership you work together see that's how the king designed it to work. a partnership where he works with you to cut that out take that sword of the spirit get rid of that and you give him the sword he knows the bible he wrote it but you got to give him a sword to work with that's that's his choice of how he's operating so you have to fill this with the word of God. And you stand on it. That's surrendering to the reign of God. Says, that's it. I'm, I'm doing it. And you do it. And that's how you partner with the king. That's that intimate partnership to live a life doing that. You see, that's the world of the kingdom.